The views expressed in this podcast do not reflect the views of our respective universities, and in some cases, they may not even reflect our own views. We are not healthcare professionals or experts. Our goal is simply to encourage the discussion of these topics in a meaningful, interesting, and respectful manner, and to explore arguments and general thoughts surrounding pressing medical ethics issues. Welcome to the ADIME Podcast. Welcome back, everybody, to our third episode of Applied Discussions in Medical Ethics. My name is Ryan Kelly. I am a second-year medical student here in Detroit. Today, I'm joined by my fellow classmates, Vikas Kanaganti, Tristan Lemon, and Kenneth Kutchman. Uh, today, we'll be discussing physician-assisted suicide and euthanasia, which is probably our most controversial topic so far. Uh, so we're going to start out with um, defining some of our terms. So I'll pass that over to Ken to define some of our terms. All right. Sounds good. So the definitions in the states that have legalized it in the United States of America, they use the, the legal term physician-assisted aid in dying. And this means that after you go through a very long process to be determined mentally uh, sound and, and capable of making this decision yourself, a physician will prescribe you a lethal dose of medication and they will not administer it to you. They will just give you it and then you can take that dose yourself. So you have to be the one who takes those pills yeah. and, and which will eventually result in your death. Now, euthanasia is the physician actually doing the active process of ending another person's life. So this would be like giving them anesthesia and then pushing like potassium chloride to stop mm-hmm. their heart subsequently. Right. That's euthanasia. Mm-hmm. And then one other thing is that there's uh, the patient's right to withhold life-saving treatment, which will come up later on, and it's also brought up in legal discussions sometimes. And this is just you as an autonomous patient can tell your physician, like uh, you can sign a DNR, which means a do not resuscitate, where if I go into cardiac arrest, I don't want you to perform chest compressions or defibrillate me. I just want mm-hmm. you to let me mm-hmm. die from there. That's withholding life-saving treatment. Mm-hmm. We we'll get into we'll, we will get into that later. But I think that the withholding life-saving treatment is is it seems to me to be a, a separate issue from euthanasia and physician-assisted suicide. Like those those things kind of get conflated a lot of the time. Right. Mm-hmm. And the withholding treatment is less controversial, at mm-hmm. least in the current climate today. Yeah. But. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it might not be as clear cut. We'll get into that. It might not be as clear cut as it first seems, especially yeah. with some of the arguments that we're going to make. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess we can just roll into a general outline of our, uh, I guess, first feelings and first uh, mm-hmm. ideas, what jumps into our head when we think about this topic. So what are your guys' feelings on it? Tristan, you can start. So I was actually curious, do you know what medications they use for physician-aided, um, the assisted aid in dying? That's actually a good question. I am unfamiliar with what I, they, I wasn't sure you what the prescribed. <laughs> I haven't looked into it. I mean, I just yeah. assume yeah. that it works. Yeah, no, for sure. Because I because I've recently heard some like debates as far as like completely different topic, but like the death penalty and how a lot of the uh, medical ways of administering that are considered. Uh, uh, inhumane, so I just wasn't yeah. sure if there was like a easy way. Okay. It's pentobarbital. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Right. Haven't yeah. learned about that yet. Yeah, we yeah. have we have our laptop. <laughs> well, just <laughs> but I mean that's an important point to make. Yeah, and uh, because okay, I'll, I'll I guess I'll just state my opinion. So mm-hmm. to me, I think that when most people think about physician-assisted suicide or euthanasia, you're not. It's it's an emotional response that leads you to form your your uh, I guess your set point on whatever position you're going to take whether you're for it or against it right yeah. because the idea is that you picture this person who's writhing in pain at the end of life and you just want to be merciful and give this person an end to their life and let them have some dignity and go out in peace right mm-hmm. but 
it's not so clear cut what happens at the end of life. First of all, the medications that they give are not guaranteed to give you a quick and painless end. There's mm-hmm. a lot of complications that come with that. Mm-hmm. And then most people who request aid and dying at the end of life are not people who are writhing in pain. Mm-hmm. The overwhelming majority in states where it's legal who, who report their reasons for requesting uh, either euthanasia or physician-assisted suicide is not due to pain. Mm-hmm. So I think that this is an issue that needs to be uh, discussed when you leave your emotions at the door and just think about the logic of what position you hold. Yeah, yeah. definitely. And that's interesting you mentioned how um, it's not as clear-cut as far as like how it's administered because I've heard stories from people who've had failed... Uh, um, administration of potassium chloride, which is one option, and they consider it in hindsight as one of the worst pains they've ever experienced. And it feels like fire running in their veins and yeah. stuff, which is not the clear cut, peaceful you know way to go out that we assume. And just to get into my opinion, you know, I'm I'm a big advocate of patient autonomy, and I don't really have a clear set opinion as far as this topic is concerned. But I definitely lean a lot more towards patient autonomy in a lot of different respects. And so I think that kind of fuels a lot of my perspective. That's fair. Yeah. And if I can just jump into, um, yeah, it's interesting that I actually did not know that the majority of patients who decide to do this are, you know, not in pain, but I do think that, uh, you kind of do have to have what is it like a six month terminal diagnosis. So at the Mm -hmm. end of six months, you know, you're Mm -hmm. determined to be dead. So I think Mm -hmm. part of the reason if they're not even in pain, maybe because they want to end on their own terms, so I think mm-hmm. I can see where it's some patients are coming. I'm not, I'm not like trying to argue against you. I think like, again, like Tristan said, I'm more nuanced on this issue. I don't have like a clear cut. Um, yeah. I think it, for me, it's a case by case basis. And I think it's interesting that whether you're for or against it, you use different language. And I think language is a big part of it. So physician assisted suicide versus physician assisted dying. Mm-hmm. So what do you think the role of language is in this debate? Cause I think defining what it actually is kind of, Mm-hmm. determines where this debate's going to go in the future. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great point on the language because even right now, uh, most of us sitting around at the table are using physician-assisted suicide, but suicide itself comes with connotations that a life was taken prematurely before mm. its time. So there's mm-hmm. an inherent connotation to the word suicide itself, which is why in the legal definitions for it, they try to avoid this inherent connotation. They say physician-assisted mm. aid in dying. Right. Okay. You know, it's the physician just helping you make this decision yourself. Mm-hmm. There is no connotation of a life being ended prematurely. I think that's fair, but also people do sometimes try and use language to avoid facing the reality of the topic. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, that's an inherent mm-hmm. political correctness. Yeah. So yeah. if you're, I mean, it, you can say you avoid language like physician-assisted suicide, and you try and say physician-assisted uh, assistance in dying, right? Mm-hmm. But is that just a fancy way to dance around the reality that it is someone who is committing suicide? Yeah. Or is that a, a like inherent merit of using different language? Right. Mm-hmm. Language is supposed to describe the the act appropriately, and mm-hmm. is is physician-assisted suicide an appropriate description of what's happening? In my opinion, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, in other people's opinion, you know, maybe not. And we can discuss the merit of that. But that comes down to mm-hmm. facing the reality of the topic and what's actually going on here. Right. And I think part of that comes into, like, how we define suicide even. So, like, mm-hmm. what Ken said, does the connotation actually determine the meaning? So, I think the connotation that with suicide, someone's life ended prematurely. Do we mm-hmm. want to make a broader definition for suicide? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know what you guys' thoughts are on that. Yeah, I mean, I think that... Um, it, to me, it almost seems like the idea of physician-assisted assistance in death or whatever, I, I don't think you can get around suicide as being an element of that. You know, whether you consider it on the patient or on the physician, 
I mean, if anything, it almost seems like manslaughter on the patient side, on the uh, physician side, I mean, Mm -hmm. because you are an accessory in this death. Even it's not like murder necessarily because you know it's what the patient wants. There's no way of getting around, no matter what the language is, I believe at least, that a death was ended prematurely because you are doing something actively to cause that death. It may, it may seem like we're trying to be sticklers on this issue, but this is not a small thing to discuss. No. I mean, physicians in general abhor the idea. This is like based on survey data mm-hmm. from the states where it's allowed. They, they much more prefer physician aid in dying or physician-assisted suicide, whatever you want to call it, mm-hmm. over the idea of euthanasia where they're playing an active part in the end yeah. of, of this patient's life. Because mm-hmm. you think about what are the tenets of being a physician, right? Mm-hmm. You, know, you have uh, beneficence, justice, non-malfeasance, and um, patient autonomy, patient autonomy <laughs> which is the biggest part of this whole yeah. debate, right? Yeah. Or one of the biggest parts of this debate. Mm-hmm. Um, but those distinctions matter, and I think mm-hmm. they do play a big role in what we're going to be getting into. Mm-hmm. But I think the reason that it's something that's so controversial is because it, it's a topic that creates passion in people because mm-hmm. you want people have empathy. You don't want to see people suffer. Mm-hmm. You want to see people go out and have the best life that they can because that's maybe reflective of your ability to lead the best life you can and to leave your, mm-hmm. lead your life the way that you want to lead it. And part of leading your life is, you know, ending your life up to the very end. Mm-hmm. So I think that that's maybe something that drives people into uh, feeling passionately without maybe mm-hmm. thinking through logically on the topic. Especially with, like, what you had mentioned where uh, the six-month uh, time frame for yeah. the terminal illness, right, some people would consider that physician-assisted aid in death or physician-assisted suicide would almost be a way of giving control back to that patient where they know they're going to die, but they want to choose, almost as a form of hospice, they want to choose the life that they have nearing the end, whether that means a comfortable life that isn't pursuing treatment or whether that means not a life at all. Right, because they know that in six months it's going to end no matter what. Mm-hmm. It's not like... Because there, there's like countries in Europe, like the Netherlands, where you can, you can get prescribed... Like a physician and suicide medication mm-hmm. without a six month terminal diagnosis. Mm-hmm. So I think there's a distinction here in the United States that I think makes it more palatable in mm-hmm. terms of this argument. I think patient autonomy and and having that six month terminal diagnosis or whatever these these uh, cutoffs are do make it more palatable. Mm-hmm. But they make it more palatable on the surface mm-hmm. because people. I mean, death, I mean, in our last podcast, we, we talk about death and dying in medicine, how medicine views death as like something to stave off at all costs and, mm-hmm. and how you mm-hmm. can give people meaning back in their lives at the end of, of their time on earth. Um, it's something that we're afraid of. And if you use fancy terms and kind of dance around what's really happening in mm-hmm. that issue, it's more palatable, but it's not necessarily more moral. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So the patient autonomy thing, I think, is, is the strongest case for it. Mm-hmm. But I think there's a lot of misconceptions around it. Like what I mentioned in the beginning is that most people, when you think of, at least for myself originally, when I thought of um, phys- uh, physician-assisted suicide or euthanasia, when people decide to end their life, mm-hmm. I'm thinking of a person who has a terminal diagnosis. Mm-hmm. They're in a bed at the end of life. They have six months to live, and they're just mm-hmm. suffering. Yeah. They have like incessant suffering, and they cannot get any peace. And then who would argue that they should have to go through that? Nobody. Yeah. But the fact of the matter is that, that that is not the majority of cases. The majority mm-hmm. of cases where people elect, and this is based on survey data in the states where it is legal now, mm-hmm. 90% of cases are persons who say that they want the uh, physician-assisted suicide or death due to some psychological trauma. Either they mm-hmm. feel that their life has no worth or mm-hmm. that they are a burden to others. 
Would they be considered mentally competent to make that decision, though? Because I know a lot of times you need a psychiatric evaluation. Yeah, yeah to so be every, every patient does get a psychiatric evaluation. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. These are persons who have gone through with it, so they were deemed competent, mm. right? So this is just their reasons given. Yeah. They can give whatever the reason they want. They mm-hmm. have patient autonomy at that point, right? Yeah. So it's not someone who was rejected for this treatment. It's someone who... Mm. These are a, a survey of persons who actually received... Mm. the uh, euthanasia or physician aid in dying. I find that interesting because I know, at least in Michigan here, mm-hmm. like if, if you walk into an ER and say that you are suicidal in a certain way, like on your own merit, you're more than likely going to get roomed for at least 24 hours in observation until you say that you're more stable or you get evaluated and deemed more stable. Or, or you're going to end up in the psych ward if it's something that's more persistent because that's considered to be some some form of mental disease or mm-hmm. something where you're not stable enough to be discharged to the point that even outside of your own will you're stuck in the hospital and you can't leave. Yeah. So it just find I just find it interesting that psychological trauma and that desire isn't considered uh, uh, contraindicated or whatever the correct yeah. word would be when you're seeking out physician assisted suicide. When if you're seeking it on your own merit, you'll just be thrown in the psych ward. Yeah, I think the big difference is context too. So I keep bringing it back. I know Ryan kind of addressed this, but like I think it's the terminal diagnosis part mm. that makes it different. Mm. Um, I don't know if that makes it much different on a moral sense as Ryan mm-hmm. was saying, but I think that's the context that oh, physicians take. That's, that's fair. Yeah. I don't, and I think that's a, a good point. And that's something that I thought about before we came to this podcast is why mm. is it different? Yeah. Why is it that we allow these people who say, oh, my life has no value. I'm burdened to others. Mm-hmm. I want to end it. Why is that a valid reason at the end of life? But it's not a valid reason when you're 20 years old. Mm-hmm. What is it? So I have some thoughts. And I, and I think, what do you I think? think I might agree with you on that. I think I've never really taken it from that angle. I've always approached it because, because again, I didn't, I did not know that a lot of patients like, or I think you said 90% of patients were mm-hmm. in the we're in the situation this where an, pain was like the uh, number one reason. Why just to clarify, it's an, it's a survey from Oregon <coughs> 2017. Mm-hmm. Just, Which I think, I mean, yeah. I think it might be representative just because that's where most of physician-assisted suicide has happened. Right. Um, they were the first state to legalize yeah, it. Yeah, so I think, mm-hmm. I think yeah. the data is, I think it would be valid. So I think mm-hmm. I wasn't aware of that fact. So I think I might agree with you on the fact that mm-hmm. there needs to be more stringency on what mm-hmm. maybe Oregon is doing in terms of how they... Mm-hmm go forward with because I don't know if yeah I, I don't know if psychological trauma is good as a good enough reason to elect to uh you know pursue it versus when it's not you know mm-hmm. like as you said like I work in the ER too like you, that's not a reason why people would take their life like mm-hmm. the doctors would not be okay with that when yeah. it's happening in your 20s so I think right, yeah. I think you I think you might be right there. so I think we should come back to that because that's the the, the strongest one. But mm-hmm. there's also the idea of, of uh, allowing. F- this is a weak one, I think, mm-hmm. in, in my personal opinion. But mm-hmm. I'll see what you guys think. Um, sparing pain for a loved one, right? Mm-hmm. There's sparing pain for yourself, which I think has more merit, right? Because you can you can exercise autonomy over your own life. And then mm-hmm. there's somebody who, let's say, it's somebody who is unable to make that decision for themselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a very famous case of a man who was. Uh, strongly burned, I forget his name. Uh, Dax, Dax Coward. Dax mm. Coward. Do you just want to fill them? So why don't we start with that case, and then yeah. we'll get into a little bit yeah. more about. Yeah. That. So uh, Dax Coward, um, he and his father uh, lived in like a rural area, and um, one day when they were out for a ride or out in the ranch somewhere, their truck essentially just exploded on them, and the father died en route to the hospital, and Dax. Uh, he suffered extremely severe burns and very debilitating uh, issues because of it. Uh, at the time, they were just 
performing all of the life-saving measurements on him. He was unconscious. He didn't know. But when he came to it, he wanted to be allowed to die. He wanted to withhold himself from life-saving treatment the way he saw it. And they wouldn't allow him to do this because they deemed him to be psychiatrically unstable. He wasn't in the right mental capacity to be able to make that decision because of the trauma he had just recently received. So... After a lot of... As they, uh, they deemed it. Yeah. Yes. yes not, as, in his, not in his opinion. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Yes. He wanted to die. Yeah. They said no, essentially. Mm-hmm. And so he went through a lot of um, legal, legal courses to essentially earn himself the right to be allowed to take his own life and uh, also became a lawyer later on. So he, mm-hmm. here's one of the interesting things, too, with this, with this story and is that once he was deemed capable of being allowed to do it, he was, you know, claimed mentally competent, he didn't do it. He didn't he didn't commit suicide or, or take the mm-hmm. dose of medication. He just wanted to have the autonomy to come back to that, to be allowed to make that decision for himself and not have somebody else make it for him. So mm-hmm. this is also this this case really highlights an issue in medicine that gets brought up sometimes of the idea of paternalism in medicine and the idea of a physician knowing best for their patient. Mm -hmm. And physician-assisted aid in dying is where those waters become very muddy in terms Mm, of you thinking you know best for your patient and them Mm -hmm. thinking they know what's best for them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So in that case, it got complicated partially because the... uh, Dax, Dax knew what he wanted. He wanted to not just withhold treatment. He wanted, uh, as far as I understand it, I might be misremembering. Mm-hmm. He definitely didn't want treatment. I don't remember mm-hmm. if he wanted to request active assistance in dying or if he just wanted to withhold treatment. Yeah, which we can talk we can about. Look, we can look that up. Right? Yeah, we can, we can talk about differences in that while you look it up. But also, it came down to putting the decision onto his mother. Mm. So in some of these cases, it comes down to um, a family member making the decision for a loved one, mm-hmm. right? And you, nobody wants to see a loved one suffer. So mm-hmm. even though it may be a rare few cases where it happens where someone is in active pain, mm. even if it happens one time, you still have to discuss it. It's still worthy mm-hmm. of discussion. And is pain a valid reason for ending a life, mm-hmm. right? Is, is the idea of proximity of pain um, a good enough reason to terminate a life for mm-hmm. a loved one or not? So what are your thoughts? I don't think it's a good enough reason if someone else has to make that decision for you. So I think mm-hmm. you need to be competent enough where you can verbalize how much pain you yourself mm-hmm. is in. Mm-hmm. So I think the more I talk about this issue, the more I realize I am for it, but in very <laughs> narrow circumstances. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So I think I, I I don't think a loved one should be able to should take should be able to take that burden onto themselves. I don't think mm-hmm. that should be right. Yeah, and I think it kind of comes down to like. The difference between withdrawal of care, refusal of care to a physician-assisted aid in dying, yeah. because it's hard for me to imagine a case where someone would be deemed not mentally competent enough that you need a loved one to make the decision for you, mm-hmm. but you still give them the pills and they still take them. Yeah, that seems true. strange to me. So I think at that point it goes straight into euthanasia. Yeah, and at that point, like it's hard for me to imagine a case where it would be. It seems like it would just be better to argue for withdrawal of care because mm-hmm. it's, I can't imagine a situation where you could enact euthanasia over just withdrawal, withdrawal of care while trusting a family member to make that decision. Yeah, unless there's like prior documentation, like a prior authorization on yeah. behalf of the patient, where they say like in these circumstances, I would want my loved one. Yeah, to do but this it, but in that case, you're still respecting patient autonomy. Yeah, yeah. so I think yeah. that, that I think I think we all agree that. Someone having to make the decision to end to end the life of a loved one without prior authorization, yeah. mm-hmm. without anything, is a blatant disregard for 
I may be overstating this, mm. is a disregard <laughs> for the patient's autonomy and right to make yes. that decision for themselves because you cannot make an, an assumption of a life worth living for someone else. Yes. And that's what you would be doing in that situation. Yeah. But when it comes down to a person deciding for themselves, that's mm-hmm. when it gets a little more sticky. Yeah. yeah. Also, just to make a quick correction, uh, Ryan, you were correct. He did not uh, try to advocate for direct uh, physician aid in dying to mm-hmm. like be prescribed pills himself, but he did become a big proponent for just right to with, uh, withdraw from life-saving treatment. Right. Mm-hmm. So, so even, my bad, messed so that up. So even, in later, okay. yeah. so even in later life, he didn't want physician-assisted dying? Uh, it doesn't say anything as in terms of him advocating okay. for physician aid I mean, and death it, from it what kinda, I'm reading here. But I mean, he, it kind of makes sense with in terms of his story because he did end up living and he yeah. had a long life. So right. I mean, but mm-hmm. there are other cases where, you know... But even but even then, in yeah. the, I watched a documentary in it back of uh, <laughs> back in undergrad, and I remember him even after as a lawyer living a functional life. He said, like, if I had to choose it over again, I wish I would have died. Yeah, like he, yeah. it was not worth it. To oh, him. really? He yes, not, he, he does not maintain. Change. He no. does not change his stance. No, he and yeah. and. Was he in pain? Okay, I'm sorry. I'm just not. No, you're good. Is he yeah. like still in pain? No, no, he's, no. he's, I mean, he just has some. Just at the time, he was like, I would have just ended it. Yeah, he has, time. he has some, yeah. you know, permanent scars and damages mm-hmm. from what he's been through. Yeah, but he's blind, I believe, in yeah. one in eye. One eye, I believe, yeah. yeah. But even then, like, regardless of the fact that in the end, it quote unquote worked out for him where he's alive, you know, he's mm-hmm. able to live a functional life mm-hmm. as a lawyer at the time of the documentary, yeah. he still would have chosen to die if he had okay. the choice. Yeah, he so, actually just recently passed away in April. At the age of seventy-one, from yeah. complications of leukemia. Okay. Yeah. 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 But I, again, I, I think that those, the distinction between uh, the right to refuse care at the mm-hmm. end of life and the right to request active assistance in dying, mm-hmm. I think that those are different issues. But even like Dax's case highlights the the uh, the importance of respecting patient autonomy, which I think is the most compelling argument for allowing. Um, physician mm-hmm. aid in dying or physician assisted. I'm just going to start saying physician assisted suicide so I don't have to keep saying it over yeah. and over. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, the idea of, of do you respect patient autonomy at all costs? So mm-hmm. I don't think that we do in medicine. In fact, I know that we don't in medicine. Mm-hmm. If somebody comes in and requests that you cut their arm off, you don't mm-hmm. respect the patient's autonomy in that case, right? They have the mm-hmm. right to make the decision for themselves. But there are three other things like beneficence, non-malfeasance, and justice that you have to weigh mm-hmm. also. Patient autonomy is not absolute. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that it's proper to ascribe patient autonomy or to to uh, give patient autonomy so much power mm-hmm. if you're talking about the end of somebody's life. Mm-hmm. So I don't know what your thoughts are on that, but I think in medicine it's not something that we take as an absolute. I think patient autonomy is sort of a recent phenomenon. Like I don't think it was as pertinent to physicians maybe 20, 30 years ago. Or mm-hmm. like, I think as we've gone into a more progressive society, patient autonomy is something we think about more mm-hmm. and I think because if we're going in we're, we're living in a time where uh, autonomy for anyone like we're going through a time a period where everyone wants autonomy for themselves whether it be in civil rights women's rights so I think it's something that's more salient to people right now so I don't I agree with you I think it's something that is very important but also needs to be balanced mm-hmm. yeah. yeah and I think that there's been a lot of you know awful cases in medicine's history that have kind of shown the need for the uh, uh, importance of patient autonomy. So Dax's mm-hmm. cases would be one example. So right now, if someone someone has every right to sign a DNR yeah. or to withdraw care unless they're, you know, as long as they're mentally competent right now. So yeah. legally, Dax should have been given the right to withdraw his own care. Right. So because of that case, that was like a landmark case, from my understanding, to making that 
more enforced in healthcare. And so uh, there's been other cases where someone uh, is diagnosed with cancer, but they're not told the diagnosis because they're like, well, you know, there's nothing we can do and they should just live their best life. Mm. So I think there have been a lot of situations in healthcare, um, maybe even the past 20, 30 years, that have kind of shown the negative aspects of not respecting patient autonomy that perhaps maybe some people would have swung swung way too far the other way where they see it as way too important. Because I agree there is a balance where I don't think, you know, you should be forced to cutting a patient's arm off just because they want to. But right. that also means that it also doesn't mean that you should be allowed to force care on them that they don't want. Right. A lot of these um, values that we try to uphold as physicians actually became very important with a, a pretty recent one being autonomy with, as many things did, Nazi Germany mm. after, after with the Geneva Convention. So that's actually one of the first times that medicine in general sat down together and for the, for the reputation of just the profession of medicine in general, wanted to draft a declaration that maintained human rights above mm. all in medicine. And that's where a lot of these things, so its history is all within the Hippocratic Oath, and that's where a lot of it is derived from. But mm. these ideas of putting the patient first, the autonomy, mm. upholding the the well-being of the patient, mm. and non-maleficence, that's a mm -hmm. big one, do absolutely no harm to your patient. A lot of these came from the horrific human trials that physicians performed on unknowing people uh, as a result of the Holocaust, and so, which actually garnered a lot of people to distrust the medical community in general. And on top of that, there is the infamous, to, to, uh, excuse me, Tuskegee syphilis yeah. mm, experiment. Yeah, yeah. it's horrible. That, that has left, uh, you know, the the black community um, scarred because mm -hmm. of what the experiments that were done on them in the mm -hmm. United States here. So I don't. But yes, obviously, I, I think we would all agree that autonomy is something important and should mm -hmm. be respected. My case, my point is not that autonomy is something that should be ignored. I mm -hmm. think it's important that medicine is making strides to to uh, improve patient autonomy and and their active role in their own care because that shows better outcomes in general. Mm -hmm. But I think that it's important to realize that autonomy is not an absolute. Mm -hmm. That's right. the key point that I want to make. It's yeah, not that it's it not important. It's extremely important. Yeah. But it's not absolutely important. Well, even going into the idea of non-maleficence, right? So emotionally for me, a big reason why I don't believe a patient should be able to come into the office and I have to cut their arm off, right, is because of that idea of I do no harm. Mm -hmm. So withdrawal of care, that's not my choice. They're choosing not to, you know, receive my care, and I respect their autonomy there. But I think when you get into physician-assisted suicide, there's a level of action. It's mm -hmm. the difference between inaction causing a patient harm or action causing a patient harm. Even if it's within their autonomy, I still, or a physician still did something to enact harm on the patient actively. Yeah. So. Yeah, I think, I mean, harm is the big word here. So are you like I think I think the argument that people who are for physician aid in dying make is that you're not doing harm mm. when you prescribe this treatment because in a way you're giving them let's just so we talked about this in our last podcast, right? So what is the role of what is the role of medicine in taking care of the patients? Is it mm -hmm. to stave off death like Ryan alluded to earlier, or is it to mm -hmm. is it to comfort the patient or make it like a more comfortable environment? Mm -hmm. I think the the argument that most people make in terms of this issue is that 
the role of medicine should be to comfort patients. So in a way, you're not mm-hmm. doing harm when you yeah when you do something. Like but this. I also feel like there's so many more roads you can go on before you just consider no. And it I, we talked about this too in our last podcast. Like yeah, palliative care is something I would stress above all else. Yeah, like that's I think physician aid in dying is the last thing Definitely. that I would yeah. think about on my list. I yeah. think that that's. That's why I brought up the point of the reasons why people decide to have physician-assisted suicide mm-hmm. is that it's 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 not even that they need palliative care and they need uh, the opportunity to stave off pain mm-hmm. because we have ways to do that, right? Mm-hmm. And I think there's also a distinction between giving someone enough, like if you, you can, I guess it, it's important to address this now. I was going to save it for later, but the distinction between either refusing care or giving someone care that may result in them dying, but mm-hmm. the aim of the care is not their death, right? Mm-hmm. So you can give someone high doses of morphine or high doses of pain medicine mm-hmm. that may result in their death eventually, mm-hmm. but the aim is to remove pain from their life, not to, relu- not to remove life from the person, yes. right? And yeah. that's an important distinction to make. And when you talk about refusing care at the end of life and the outcome is death mm-hmm. versus requesting death and the outcome is death, yeah, right? There's a big distinction between those two things, and I think that that's uh, an important thing to approach. So what are your thoughts on it? No, like, so that's why I'm nuanced, right? So logically, I agree with you, but emotionally, I'm different. So it's, it's like, it's a battle between logic and emotions for me. Like, Mm -hmm. I can see logically the point that you're making, and I agree 100%. Like, they're, Mm -hmm. they're fundamentally different. But emotionally, if I were to put myself in a physician's shoes and I see a patient who's just suffering and they know that, I mean, they have a terminal diagnosis, mm-hmm. it'd be hard for me emotionally not to feel for the patient. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, it's just mm-hmm. that sort of balance. Like, I need, I, I see, I fundamentally agree with you logically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's emotionally where I get tripped up. Right? Yeah. So, so here's a question. As far as, let's say, the example of morphine and kind of over-prescribing morphine to bring comfort to the patient, but right. it's going to create damage to them in the long run. But mm-hmm. that's what palliative care is. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. So, so what would we think about that as far as a patient who didn't need pain control? So, so something that technically they don't need the palliative care you're giving them, but let's say it ends up causing them an early death at four months as opposed to their disease prognosis, which would be so, six months. I mean, months. palliative care doesn't necessarily mean that you prescribed pain medication so mm-hmm. all palliative care means is that they're be they're able to be treated in the comfort of like wherever they want to be treated so like mm-hmm. in their own home mm-hmm. they're with loved ones they're not like hooked up to a machine it's yeah like it doesn't have to, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're getting high doses of morphine or whatever yeah, yeah. No, they're no I, longer receiving intervening yeah. medication yeah. but i think what tristan is saying is is how do you make the distinction yes if you're, if you're giving somebody the medication mm-hmm. right how can you make the distinction between I'm giving this to save them pain or I'm giving this to, to kill them? Yes, right? exactly. Mm-hmm. But yeah. the, the intent matters, right? Mm-hmm. So if somebody does not ne- is not in pain, then mm-hmm. obviously the reason you're giving them pain medicine is to aid in their death, Yes, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah. the, the intent matters in the action, mm-hmm. right? Some people disagree with that in terms of morality, right? Do the consequences matter or does the intention matter? Mm-hmm. And that's something we can talk about. But in the end, when you're refusing care or when you're, when you're giving... Uh, treatment that results tangentially in someone's death, but mm-hmm. the aim of the treatment is not their death, mm-hmm. right? What you're doing is you're respecting the inherent dignity of life. When you refuse care, you're mm-hmm. respecting the dignity of your life and you want to live the current life that you have to the fullest. Mm-hmm. And when you decide to request physician assisted suicide, what you're saying is my life is not worth anything and I want it to end, mm-hmm. right? One is of uh, inherent valuing of life and one is an inherent disavowing mm-hmm. of the inherent value of life. Do you think that just creating or putting a temporal nature into it makes it different inherently because 
We're saying that, well, we're giving them these higher doses of morphine to help them with their pain, and we know that this is eventually going to result in an adverse outcome. Well, I guess how you define adverse, it will eventually lead to their death or hasten their death because of this because they have a terminal diagnosis versus we could just do it quicker if we gave them the actual lethal dose of medication and Mm -hmm. we don't give it to them. We just say, when you feel ready, when you are ready for this, you can take it. So now... You give control. Is it? Is it? Yeah. Is it? Is it uh, a moral equivalency at that point? Are we? Are we saying that just because there's a temporal nature to mm-hmm. it now, we're we're respecting? We have the intention of respecting the dignity mm-hmm. of life because we're not trying to make it as fast as possible or yeah. hasten it as fast as possible. So I think Ken makes. Sorry, if I could jump in. Right yeah, now. go ahead. I think Ken makes a good point because I think that's the main argument in euthanasia that's different in our argument like euthanasia mm-hmm. you can do whenever you want like it's mm-hmm. there's no set time of when you're going to die or when the doctors told mm-hmm. you you're going to die so i think i think there might be a difference in like you die two months before you're supposed to i think that's mm-hmm. that's short enough where giving control back to a patient might be more mm-hmm. emotionally mm-hmm. Uh, well, and just to make sure, euthanasia, the, the doctor themselves are... Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But, like, yeah. yeah. There's more leniency on that. Mm-hmm. So, um, so there's, a, there's a couple things to unpack there. I'll just go with... The, if the temporal nature, if it, does it make mm-hmm. a difference how long it takes for the mm-hmm. end result? Is that right. the question Yeah, I general? guess that's... The sh- yeah, yeah. I don't want to mischaracterize yep. what you said. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yep. So, but I, I think it does. It, it, the... What matters is not the temporal nature of how long it takes. What matters is the intention behind the action, mm-hmm. right? If you give pain medication to somebody and your, your goal is to stop the pain, but your goal is not to kill them, you may know people are going to disagree with me on this because, mm-hmm. because you know, it's, it's a sticky situation, let's say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But the goal is, is, is are you respecting the life of that individual or not? Are you, are you acknowledging that life itself has inherent value mm-hmm. or are you saying that life only has value as far as this person or this culture dictates, it has value. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. I think that that comes around to why do we think that it's wrong for someone who comes in in their 20s and wants to kill themselves mm-hmm. versus somebody with a terminal diagnosis with three months to live wants to kill themselves. Yeah. If we're just going to respect patient autonomy, we mm-hmm. should view both of those situations the exact same. Mm-hmm. If they think that their life doesn't have meaning, mm-hmm. then they've made their decision, they've asserted that their life doesn't have meaning, and we should respect that. But mm-hmm. we don't in both cases. We're much more willing to accept the fact that someone at the end of life doesn't mm-hmm. have meaning and someone who's in their 20s has meaning and they're just not sure of it. Mm-hmm. But that's our problem. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. because we as a society do not respect the inherent value of life at all stages. We mm-hmm. talked in the last podcast about how we're like so obsessed with youth and we're so obsessed with being healthy and we mm-hmm. don't respect what the old have to offer us. That's just a disregard for the inherent value of life of people with disabilities, of people in old age, right? Mm. The problem is not in this context of the situation because fundamentally those situations should be the same if we're just talking about autonomy. Mm -hmm. The problem is how we view people in different stages of life. Yeah, and I guess the idea of uh, physician-assisted suicide is that you're not causing much harm if you're taking off, let's say, two months of someone's life or a month or a couple days if they already have that terminal diagnosis. Because I imagine, let's say... Let's say there was a dose, well, words, a dose of morphine <laughs> that you could give that would kill someone in like a couple hours or something, right? That yeah. still relieves pain, but it changes that temporal, like what you mentioned, Ken, element. So that ratio of what you're doing ending their life and what their natural progression would have been, there's like a lot more, there's a huge difference in what that progression would have been if you give them a higher dose. But let's say someone comes in from a car crash and, like, you know there's nothing you can do, they're going to die in, like, a couple hours, you giving them that crazy high dose of morphine that 
in you know benign cases would be considered physician assisted suicide or euthanasia for them because they're going to die in a couple hours you're just providing palliative care yeah i think ryan is approaching it from i think the way that policy should be approached you should Mm -hmm. approach it logically the problem for me and i agree with ryan's logic it's sound Mm -hmm. what he's saying makes complete sense to me the only thing that trips me up is like again the emotional nature like for me it's intuitive Mm -hmm. like it just feels different to me that Mm -hmm. like when someone has a terminal diagnosis they should be able to choose their moment of death when they know it's coming yeah so that's that's just that's the trick. Like I don't disagree with your logic. I think yeah. your logic mm-hmm. is sound. It's just like when I'm thinking about a patient who has a terminal diagnosis, and they're telling me that there's a way that they would like to go, when they would want to go. Mm-hmm. It's hard for me not to be like, okay, yeah, you know what, you can do that. Like, yeah, yeah, but that's very important. That's yeah. not something to dismiss. Just because, yeah. like, if you agree with me logically, but you don't agree with me emotionally, there's something to to dig at there. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. And it's wh- why is it that you feel like there's that barrier there? Is so is it because you don't want to see someone suffer? Well, why can't we give them palliative care and give them No, and I'm not disagreeing stuff. with you. I think palliative care, like, I wouldn't... So if a patient comes to me, that physician-assisted aid in dying is not the number one option I would give them. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I think I don't want to misre- misrepresent my mm-hmm. view. Like, I don't think that should be the number one option if a patient approaches. You should go through every single option before you reach that one. But I think if you've exhausted all options... Mm-hmm and they find that palliative care is not enough. Mm-hmm. I think it would, it's hard for me, like, like logically it's sound, but like emotionally, if, they've, if you've gone through all options, you know that they don't have much time left and they want to choose the best way out for them. It's hard for me not to see how I would be able to turn them down. Yeah. So the question that I would ask for that is, what, what do you mean when you say that it's not enough? So you find that palliative care isn't enough. What do you, how, what do you mean exactly? So let's say... Let's take, like, I again, like, this is not, you were, I, like, your case about 9% of cases, let's say, not being about pain. Let's say right. you do have a case for just pain. And okay. that's, that's, that's what I would want to restrict. Okay, my, that's fine. Uh, that's mm-hmm. fair. Yeah. We're yeah. Let's say someone has, like, intri- like, pain that's unbelievable and that they, even with palliative care, it's not mm-hmm. enough. Right. At that point, I, it would be hard for me to say no. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that's hard for everyone. Yeah. Well, yeah. I think one thing to consider too, and I don't know if they mention it in the um, in that survey, is we have no real way to gauge spiritual or mental pain with mm. people. We have need we can gauge physical pain pretty well. Yeah. So the, the people could be in acute spiritual or mental pain mm-hmm. and in agony, but you know they don't have any physical pain going yeah. on. So I should think, we? Should I think we, when you go when you approach policy, it should be something that you can see or something that you can directly observe. But I, I don't even mean it from. I think obviously I think policy should reflect morality. Right? Yes. But I, mm-hmm. I'm not arguing necessarily just from a policy point of view. Mm-hmm. But I, I'm not arguing either that we should just ignore these these patients. Uh, you know, mental pain, psychological mm-hmm. pain, spiritual pain. Because mm-hmm. just because someone reports that they okay, if they feel like their life has uh, what, were, what were the two reasons that I had? Uh, they feel a loss of dignity in their life. They feel that they're a burden to others, and they feel like they've lost their autonomy. Right? Mm-hmm. That's right. what ninety percent of persons do. It's not because of physical pain. Yeah. But those are what those are sources of pain. Yeah. yeah. Right. You can have psychological pain that's more dangerous. Like I could break mm-hmm. my leg, but then my girlfriend dumps me. Right. One's yeah. going to hurt way more than the Definitely. other. Definitely. Yeah. Right? So I'm not trying to discount pain, but what I'm saying mm-hmm. is that the reason that we're so eager to dismiss that pain or to dismiss uh, not to dismiss that pain, but to, to try and solve that pain by mm-hmm. ending their life is because we are t- 
taking away the inherent value of life at all stages. Well, I think we feel like there's no cure for their psychological yeah, pain. Because we, yeah. We need to address the, we need to cure that pain. Yeah. And there's other ways to do it besides killing the person. I be yeah, and I agree completely. Yeah. Like again, what I said, what I'm trying to say is like in cases where that is not enough. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. For sure. No, I think, I think it's super nuanced. And for me, you know, I definitely understand that there's counseling. You can meet with a psychiatrist, psychologist. Like, there's there's ways you can kind of try to address that pain. That's absolutely, I think, what you should do. Definitely, yeah. 100%. But I also recognize that, like, the impending sense of doom of knowing yeah. that you're going to, you know, no matter what you do, you're going out, and it's not going to be pretty in, you know, a couple months. I almost wonder if, for some patients, there's nothing they can do. Or maybe it's just the the progression towards healing or acceptance, mm-hmm. you know, whatever the five stages of grief and everything, yeah. you know, what, what if they can't get to those stages on time? So no matter what you did, they're always in pain. But what until if, the end. what if anyone can't get through those stages? Like, mm. why do we make the distinction between a, like a healthy 20 year old who's undergoing the same psychological pain, mm-hmm. but maybe he's not going to die for another 60 years? Mm. Like, why does the time until death matter? I think it. Mm-hmm. I think for me, it kind of seems like a way to kind of shove responsibility off to quote unquote mother nature. Where yeah. you know, either way, like even if your uh, treatment is going to end their life a little bit sooner, well, they were going to die soon anyway. As opposed yeah. to they're in their twenties, they're healthy. You just took a ton of time, and so I agree with what Kenneth said, where that temporal element of life kind of brings a lot of value to it. And I can't put my finger on why, yeah. but I think it's kind of a way, in my opinion, it's kind of a way yeah, of yeah. kicking responsibility. Like logically, Ryan, is, I think, is right. Yes. But I think intuitively you can see where the temporal nature yeah. makes you feel differently. Definitely, yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I would agree. Yeah, because, I mean, technically... I going to bring up something else. I totally forgot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Go ahead. I, I was going to say, because technically, you know, I, I, I tend to go back to this, but technically, like, we're all going to die. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, we, technically, we all have terminal life sentences that, yeah. you know, enact themselves whenever they do. I remember what it was. And so, <laughs> that's good. you can circle back to it, because I was just yeah. going to say that, like, that temporal nature inherently has to mean something, even yeah. if I can't put my finger on why it does. This is This is more of a personal belief, but, like, I... Medicine is different. So I understand that medicine, that life is a precious, like, mm-hmm. sacred thing. Personally, I view life differently. I don't think it's as sacred as people make it out to be. Mm-hmm. And you guys know this. I've talked about this before, mm-hmm. and I don't mm-hmm. want to get too into it. Yeah. And I think patients might have the same similar sort of viewpoint. Yeah. So how do you negotiate the sanctity of life that's upheld in medicine, which as a physician, I have to respect as a physician. When I'm yeah. as a physician, my personal views are not going to get in the way. Yeah. But, like, let's say a patient sort of has views similar to my own. Mm-hmm. How do you negotiate that difference? Well, so the question is, like, is life inherently valuable mm-hmm. or not? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, but, like, in medicine, as a physician, you have to respect oh, yeah. that life is sacred because no, that's what's yeah. inherent in medicine. Yeah, I don't, I don't believe that you're someone who would yeah. act as yeah. if life wasn't. But yeah. I, I think that also just, just because you... Uh, not you personally, but because a patient has some kind of view of the inherent value of their own life doesn't make them correct. Mm-hmm. Right? Uh, uh, like, but who who decides who's correct though? Well, it's a, philo- it's a philosophical difference. I it think. is a philosophical mm-hmm. difference. So, so what is valuable? What is this? Is I don't want to get too far off the rails. Here, yeah, we'll go, that's why I didn't want to get too much. We'll, in, yeah. we'll go quickly, yeah. and then if we start getting off the rails, we'll yeah. come back. But what what is valuable in life? Period. What's valuable to you uh, as an individual? What's valuable to me? Yeah. I don't think that being born was something that was valuable to me, right? That's, like, that's, that's not fine. something that anyone mm-hmm. decides. Mm-hmm. I, you, I don't pick, you don't pick when you enter the world. You don't pick when you leave the world. Um, 
And if you believe in a deterministic mindset, you don't really even believe that everything that happens to you is your free mm-hmm. will. Right. Yeah. So but, but what's, what's, about, what's valuable to me is my subjective feeling. That's the only okay. thing that I can govern. But like would you subjectively sub- view the world? But would your subjective feeling exist if you weren't alive? Again, see, that's what I'm saying. Like that, that's a that's a it's it's something that you just said that it's in favor of my argument. But it's also against my argument. It's a, yeah. So can you repeat it just one more time so I don't? So you're. It, um, oh, would you? Would you? So yeah. would your if mm-hmm. you value your subjective feelings? Mm-hmm. Would your subjective feelings be exist if you weren't alive? Yeah, exactly. So, like, I wouldn't care because I wouldn't be right. alive. So, like, it's only valuable to me if I'm alive, but I understand, like, my time on this earth is fleeting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, in, in a temporal sense, it's not going to yeah. matter in the long run. Right. Mm-hmm. But my my point is, and I'm not trying to attack you personally. It's no, just no, no, it's fine. Like, I, would, I, would, I would love to argue about this or discuss right. this aside from this podcast, but, like, that's, mm-hmm. that's not what we want we'll to do. We'll leave it too. alone after this, but yeah. my, though, and you, well, you can say something, too. I don't want to end it on mine, but <laughs> my point is that if anything has value, it's life, because life is a necessary prerequisite for anything of value, right? If but you that's don't a have human-centered life, view, though. That is a human-centered view, yeah. Yeah. right? If you want anything that a person values, let's say, to mm-hmm. make it more about the individual, yeah. because there are things, like, if someone dies for their children, that's a valuable act, but they're not around to experience it. So it's not like mm-hmm. death is, is, or the end of that person's life. But the children, if they weren't alive, wouldn't be around to, to experience value from it. So life, to me, if anything is going to have value, you must have life first. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I think that's a bias for people who have life. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. It's just like a, it's a that's life fair. bias viewpoint. Yeah. Right? That's not most of what the universe is. And that's, that's why I don't want to get into okay, that. Okay, yeah, yeah. That's we'll a leave huge argument. We'll leave that All right, so yeah, we'll leave that alone for now. But that's just where I'm trying to get at. Like, I, 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 see, I can understand where people would see it differently. Yeah, and I, and I agree. And I think that's something where, you know, there's a big distinction between the logics behind something or the emotions behind it, too. And I think it's important not to discount the emotion because I do mm-hmm. believe there's something there. Even with, like, the example of, you know, the, the Rambo-esque example or a military example where, you know, soldiers in the battlefield and one soldier you know, gets fatally wounded to the point that they're slowly bleeding out and there's nothing you can do. You know, as your friend, you know that you're going to, if they ask you, like, you know, end my life, like, they're dying, essentially. Mm. You know, you shooting them to end their life quicker, a lot of people would see as, like, an act of mercy, like the Mm -hmm. old yeller example, right, where you're putting someone out of their misery. But logically, you could say, well, their life could have been lived longer, and isn't that life sacred? You just took away some of the sacred life. But emotionally, I'm thinking, yeah, but they're just in pain. It's so much pain, it's not worth it. But at what point does pain make life either not sacred or does it make it worth ending early? Because that has that has to have an element to it. So I yeah. think what you're trying to get at is context, right? Yes. So like, yeah. That's a common situation maybe in the military mm-hmm. that we don't equate to healthcare. And I, I was wondering what your thoughts on, were on that. Because yeah. I, I kind of agree with you. Mm-hmm. War no. ethics get weird. Yeah. What's that? I said war ethics always get yeah. weird. Yeah, yeah, for sure. For sure. And, yeah. I, and I have very little experience. But I think logically, that's, that's something we have to address. Because yes. that's a good point. I yeah. think it's important to address. I think, I mean, we've already clarified. For the, for the most part, these are not the cases you're dealing with. No, for right? sure. So, but let's, um, let's talk about as if, because I think we all kind of are on board with, we're very, at least I know you're against it on scale fronts but like yeah even for me as someone i think would be more in terms of like on board with it the cases i would restrict it to are very few mm-hmm. right between definitely so is there is there any value to having rules without exceptions 
right? There are going to mm. be cases where uh, it happens that people are going to suffer, mm-hmm. right? But do the cases here, we're playing kind of like hedonic calculus, right? Mm-hmm. Do they, does the good outweigh the bad? Yeah. Does the good of allowing a very few amount of cases mm-hmm. where someone will suffer at the expense of preserving the dignity of life mm-hmm. or the perceived dignity that all life is worth keeping around and you should never kill anybody, mm-hmm. did those few cases where someone suffer justify the majority of cases which we've established in, mm-hmm. in physician-assisted suicide are the majority, mm-hmm. where somebody is not suffering, but they're choosing to abandon the dignity of human life. See, so, but, I th- but I think the beauty of mm-hmm. a human being is not to be dictated by rules in every sense. So I mm-hmm. think the beauty of a human being is that you can see when a rule needs some sort of bending in a situation. Mm-hmm. I think that's where our humanity even comes from. But I think the problem with bending the rule of life is that you're, either life is sacred or it's not. There's not an okay. in between. There's not a. There's not a. <laughs> okay. <laughs> to me, yeah. to me, life is either life is either inherently valuable or it's not inherently valuable. You can't mm. say life is inherently valuable, provided, right? Yeah. Because then inherently mm. doesn't mean anything. Yeah. So mm. yes, I do think there will be cases where someone is going to have to not have to. I think it's wrong, mm-hmm. or I think it's not wrong. I think it's it's uh, sad mm. to a, a bad situation to happen where someone is going to suffer, but. Mm. If the cost of that suffering is the preservation of something much more important, which is the inherent dignity of life, mm-hmm. then I think it's worth it. And mm-hmm. it comes down to what value do you place on life itself? Do you think that life is inherently valuable or do you think that life is valuable provided these certain criteria? Mm-hmm. And then who gets to decide those criteria? Yeah. It's too much of a slippery slope. So yes, there mm-hmm. are going to be cases where you have terrible outcomes and terrible things happen, mm-hmm. but that happens with pretty much everything like i don't think that's a good enough reason okay to, so to i, I agree with you. so let's let's say let's say we don't bend the rules okay let's say that we ascribe to whatever that life is sacred right yeah that's that's the assumption we make if a physician gets caught in a case where you emotionally agree with the physician but it's against rules would you punish them against against what rules are the rules so let's consistent say, morally or not I'm not arguing for rules. I'm arguing mm. for consistent morality. Mm. And I think that rules should reflect consistent morality. Okay. Mm. Do you well, think so that then my question is morality should also be enforced because we can Well, yeah, I think I think so there's a difference between what's legal and what's right, right? Mm-hmm. Like there are a lot of things that I disagree with mm-hmm. that uh, legally, right? And there's some things I think that are morally correct that aren't illegal. Yeah. So I, there's a distinction to be made there. Just somebody mm-hmm. breaking the rules, I don't think is enough to condemn them morally. I don't think that that that's enough. I think that rules should reflect morality. Well, I think it also comes down to action versus inaction too, because I think none of us would argue that a patient should be forced to receive treatment regardless of how good the prognosis is. But let's say a patient is depressed, is having a lot of psychiatric trauma, and they have a really easy surgery that would take care of a disease or, you know, a really quick treatment on medication that would take care of their illness, they still have the right to refuse that treatment and inherently you're kind of a bystander watching your patient enact their own uh, viewpoints on the quality of their own life or the the inherent value of their life, right? They're choosing to accept that their life is not valuable and you're standing on the sidelines. If you want to legislate or make as rules, um, you know, that life is sacred no matter what, so there should be no physician-assisted suicide, it seems like you almost have to say patient autonomy is is more valuable than... Uh, life itself because there are times that that trumps the sanctity of life. I think what you're saying is patient autonomy is less valuable. It's, it's, yeah. yeah. No, no, no. I think you're right. I may, I may have misworded it. You're saying that if, if we are allowing 
in those cases, if we're allowing someone who would otherwise have a healthy life to decide to refuse treatment, yes. then what we're doing is placing an overemphasis on patient autonomy in that case. Yeah, it seems yeah. logically inconsistent. Okay, what I thought you acts. what I thought you were saying was and then why yeah. why essentially no, allow them to withhold treatment then at all if yeah. we want to make sure yeah. that there's yeah. a great rules reflecting. I think that's a great comment, morality. Yeah. yeah. Well, that comes down to. Again, it's it's a weight. You're weighing different options, right? Mm-hmm. Does someone have the, and also the the direct action that you're taking? Mm-hmm. Right? Is your intention there to kill the person? Yeah. No, your intention is to respect their autonomy, and they're gonna. Maybe it's gonna result in their ultimate death, but mm-hmm. your decision in that case was not to dismiss the value of life. Mm-hmm. It was their decision to to dismiss the value of life, mm-hmm. right? And your direct inaction that. We'll get to that. <laughs> right, but you're. To me, it seems like the actions are different. Are you trying mm-hmm. to compare those to like at the end of life, like physician assisted death at the end of life? Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm thinking mainly just like in general the the role of the physician in it. It seems to be more of the focus because the patient can choose to do what they want. But as far as the physician's concerned, it's the difference between action and inaction in yeah. any case. Yeah. So, so I, I think what Tristan's trying to get at is if. If you value life above all else, does the action and inaction matter? Yes, hundred percent. Yeah, um, which is why I got kind of confused a little bit. Yeah, yeah. I don't think I understood what you were saying. If I, 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 I did not word it very well, to be yeah. honest. So does the does the action or inaction matter? Yeah, on the part of the physician, we well, can't. You can't force people to value their own lives. Mm-hmm. But if you're if you're a physician, you can still respect. If the ultimate, if the argument that we're having is whether or not a physician should execute his power to help someone in dying or not, I think that's coming down to the physician's. But action. isn't doesn't but like let's say in that case, isn't inaction also accomplishing the same objective? Gotcha. But so you're but you're, but it's like viewed different. It's not even viewed differently. Mm-hmm. It's just it's just framed differently. Yeah. I, I, I okay like the trolley problem. Yeah. Inaction versus action. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think there's an inherent difference between mm-hmm. not acting okay. and, and between acting. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I think there is. That's a whole, that's a long, we, yeah. I mean, we can get into that if we want. Yeah. I mean, let's, well, why not? Let's do okay. it. Okay. Yeah. First things first. <laughs> <laughs> what is the trolley problem? Okay. Um, okay. We should make sure the audience, it's a, it's in like case a, they're not familiar like a, with you've that. You've probably heard of it before. Oh, yeah. I, I know what the trolley bit. problem okay. is. I just want to make sure oh, okay. all of our listeners are aware of okay. the trolley problem okay. in terms I'm of a philosophical uh, mind experiment. Okay. So you are sitting at a, con- I'm going to butcher this. <laughs> Hopefully I get the, the we can just. The, the original bare bones trolley problem. <laughs> I'm gonna try. So you're sitting at a control <coughs> station, and there's a train, and this train is heading towards uh, five people who are tied down on the track. Mm-hmm. And you're sitting at the uh, the switch to change the tracks. Right. Mm-hmm. The train is coming. If the train continues on its current course, it will kill five people. You can pull the lever, and when you pull that lever, you will switch the tracks. But now the train will careen towards one person. Who is sitting? Who is tied down towards the track that you will have switched it to? Mm-hmm. Is there a moral difference? What is the wh- first of all? What is the moral thing to do? Should you let the train careen and hit five people, or mm-hmm. should you pull the lever and the result of your action is that one person dies? Is yeah. there a moral difference between those actions? Which is worse? Which is better? That's the trolley problem. Yeah. Kind of. Yep. <laughs> no, yeah. that's exactly. Yep. Yeah. yeah. And I think there's so many different variations. You're saying there to is it. there's a difference between. I think there is a moral difference between okay. inaction and action. There's also the car. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's another pushing experiment. the fat man onto the tracks. Yeah. That's yeah there's pushing. Yeah. The, there's there's if you're. You can get more nuanced. Yeah. Yeah. yeah if you're if you're sitting in okay, let's say you're <laughs> you're standing in line, right, and somebody comes up to you and they pu- pu- uh, point a gun at your head. Right, mm-hmm. and you know that they're going to pull the trigger. Can you duck 
and then the person behind you dies, or is it your moral obligation to sit there and take the bullet? Right? Yeah. Does your action directly cause the death of that other person? See, I think that's different because your that. life is at risk there, whereas it's not mm. with the trolley problem. Well, also, I think you're not the one pulling the trigger. Yeah, yeah. Like, you're it's right. the other person's action. Yeah, I feel yeah. like that's a fundamentally different case. Yeah, you're right. That's I think right. the trolley problem is more apt to what we're we'll, discussing. We'll leave yeah. that one out. But as far, as far as the trolley problem, I mean, I, I don't know what you guys think, but to me, I would think pulling the lever is the morally Same. better Same. choice to make. Why? Because I, I would say just, like, what, hedonistically? Is that, is that yeah, the hedonic calculus. Yeah, hedonic calculus. I would yeah. just think, you know, one so that, that's, that's that's the idea that you're maximizing, you're minimizing pain or misery and maximizing mm-hmm. happiness or pleasure. Yes. Mm-hmm. This, this is like a, like a utilitarian. Yes. 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 Yeah. Yeah. So, but the problem with that is that the results don't necessarily dictate whether an act was moral or not. Mm-hmm. Right? There is something to say about the intention of the act. It doesn't yeah. mean... In that, and honestly, you can hold a view that's non-utilitarian and still pull the lever. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. It doesn't. All that it means, if you're not totally about calculating what's going to maximize good and what's going to minimize pain. Yeah. Is you're taking other things into consideration aside from just the end result. Yeah. Right. So, for example, if I if I rob Vakas, mm-hmm. right, and I take all the money out of his bank account and I give it to my friends, not right. <laughs> <laughs> Do I take the student loan debt? <laughs> okay, and make all my other friends poor. Right. <laughs> If I rob Vakas of whatever he's got and I give it to, you know, my my uh, my two other friends and uh, then we'll have three happy people and one unhappy person. That doesn't yeah. make my act justified. It yeah. doesn't make my act moral. The numbers do not justify the act, mm. right? So just because five people die versus one person die. Mm. But that's different because if you were to do inaction... Ooh, okay, I see what you're saying. <laughs> yeah. But I think but it's... I think, I think it's fun... It, it, I think it's different. I don't... Yeah, I can't put my... Like, I need to think about this more, but well, I think it's different. I think there's a lot... There's nuance to what action is. I don't yeah. think it's binary that there's action yeah. and inaction, right? Yeah. Like, it's the difference, the other version of the trolley problem of you pull the lever or you push yeah. someone on so the track. I think, so I think what I'm... Okay, so you robbing me, right? Yeah. Like, I was not destined to be robbed. I think the difference in the trolley problem is that you're destined to die. You have, like... You're set on a path where... Like two groups of people could die. Like I'm not destined to be robbed. Right. So you stepping in and doing that is is I think is different than the trolley problem. Well, they weren't destined to die. Someone tied but, them to uh, the but tracks. They're, but they're they're tied the tracks now. Right. Well, you're current. robbed now. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I see what you're saying. Yeah. But you okay. didn't tie them to the tracks. Someone else did. Yeah. And at this point, you're dealing with yeah. a, with a okay. uh, less than exactly. apt situation. I was, like, was going to say exactly what. You're <laughs> <laughs> so, but. Regardless, all of those arguments just, they highlight the complexity of these decisions. Yeah. I don't think it makes it any easier. And it doesn't really give us an answer. Personally, I think that... um, But, okay, but, like, why do you... Okay. No, you've explained your fleet plan. Never mind. No, 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 you're good. I was just going to say, personally, I believe that the nuance of action versus inaction is overrated. And I think that... I, I tend I tend to lean a lot more towards the hedonic calculus of mm-hmm. what yeah. what's the end result, and I think that saying what your intent was or what the action or inaction is mm-hmm. doesn't nullify the end result. That's why people who still kill people unintentionally are charged with manslaughter as opposed to murder. Like you can say, oh, you feel a little better about yourself, but regardless, the end results matter. But why aren't they charged with murder? 
because I do believe the intent matters in right. a sense, but it doesn't change the end result. Yeah, of course, it, it doesn't change the end result, but it changes the morality of their action. That's why right. they're not charged with murder. Or the consequence of it. It doesn't even change the consequence. They're, the person's dead or they're, or they're not, right? Manslaughter. I mean, for the, for the person who Oh, did for the person it. who yeah. did it. Yeah, but, but it, there is, in society, there's a reason that we charge some people with manslaughter and some people with murder. Yeah. It's because we view the intent behind the action as vital to the action itself, and to I think, the morality of the action. And I think that's because, well, that's, that's just a system. That's something totally different, but I'm just thinking of the idea of, you know, we want inherently to punish or negate evil people or people who are, you know, a nuance to, or not a nuisance to society or people who yeah. hurt society as opposed to people who are trying to do the right thing and they just kind of, you know, screwed up in a certain sense. And also I'm arguing against you just for the sake of it. Of course. Yeah. But like, you're not alone in that viewpoint that, yeah. that in, in the case that in some cases inaction and action are the same thing because the result matters so much more than the mm-hmm. intent. Yes. Mm-hmm. And that can be a case. I think it helps you sleep better at night. Right. Like if you're going to, if you're, if you, uh, you know, slap the nuclear holocaust button because you want to kill one person but you end up killing a million people <laughs> the end action is so heinous yes. that the morality of your initial like intent doesn't come into play it was a terrible yeah. terrible thing no matter what right yeah. it's not that you've only value one or you value the mm-hmm. other you can take them in uh together so so i have this this may be a little off the rails as far as the conversation, but I do Where think it's... Where we want to go. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Off the, the trolley rails. The, <laughs> we should wrap it up soon, though, because we're getting long now. Okay. For sure. Yeah. Um, so the one thing I think that's important to consider is, would you consider suicide or as a result or an end progression of a disease? So, for example, people consider, you know, they've succumbed to suicide or mm-hmm. depression, you know, ends in suicide or something like that. Would that be an action taken by the patients, you know, obviously it is. And in whatever the correct way of arguing this is, I think it's important to kind of establish what we think about that because you would say if someone is going to succumb to heart failure or cancer in six months, right, mm-hmm. they, they're going to die of this disease. But a lot of the progression now, as far as medicine's concerned, you know, depression is considered a mental disorder and suicide is the outcome of it. Right. So... Where, where does that... Like the morality of suicide? Well, not necessarily the morality of suicide, but if we're, say, if we're thinking of physician-assisted suicide, if someone's just going to go home and take their own life the day that they come to you asking to give them a better way of doing it, yeah, does that, you know, it's mm-hmm. inherently their disease progress isn't six months, it's one day. But it's different because the onus was never on the physician in that case. Because mm-hmm. I think the difference is, like, you're asking the physician for permission. Like, you're not doing this. And I'm not endorsing suicide. Of course, and neither am I at all. No. But I think we're... I think we can make distinctions because the physician is involved inherently in the first former case rather than mm-hmm. the latter case. We also kind of slid into just yeah. the... the like uh, the morality of death itself, and like yeah. and other things. And originally, what we were focused on was just the morality of a physician's behavior in a certain circumstance. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's true. That's so true. I think it's important to come back to that. But also, these things don't exist independent of one another. No, right? They're they're tied to each other. So we had to go into that specifically about pain and like Aiden dying. And yeah. what, what actually matters is inaction. The same thing as action or not. Yeah, that all matters, but. In the end, I, I don't think that it's as clear-cut as people initially think that it is. And yeah. that's the point that I wanted to make on the, the podcast, at least. Of course, yeah. So I think, I mean, just to kind of wrap it up, I think the way we address policy, because we brought up morality versus policy. Like, mm-hmm. policy should reflect 
the morality, yeah. but how do you do that? I think it should be based on the moral, like the moral viewpoints of the majority of the population in the country. Mm-hmm. How do you guys view it? I think that anything that's majority rules is inherently flawed. Mm-hmm. I don't think that you should ever because if you have, you well, have well, to. What would evo- be a better approach then? Well, you you have to. I mean the the uh, uh, what's what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, the, the rational person argument. Right, you have to evaluate okay. someone's argument based on its its merits. Mm-hmm. Just be if a mil- mm-hmm. if you live in That's the United true. States, I'll take back what I said. I agree with you. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> right, so, yeah. I don't even I don't even need to make my no, argument. No, I, I see what you're saying. Morality rules is not the way to go, yeah, yeah. but but it is important to take the temperature and to judge yeah. and to consider the morality. Yeah, yeah. No, I I think that. I, I would agree that I think in a lot of ways, you know, taking the temperature or the idea of what people believe is really important. But I do think that, you know, you know, if we go back to the Nazi Germany aspect, I wouldn't say the majority of people in the country believe that, you know, the actions of the government were okay, but the majority no, of people in power people, yeah. did. Uh, Vikas obviously does not think that either. Of course no. not. No, no, no. Of course. <laughs> yeah. But just generalize yeah. yeah. Otherwise, we'd have the purge. Like, if enough no, people I, like the purge. I yeah. brought up an idea. I didn't really think about it. And then I was like, I don't actually believe what it said. <laughs> <laughs> it's a podcast, not a manuscript. No, but yeah, I think yeah. that's what's important yeah. and what's great about the podcast is that yeah. we're able to talk about things even without yeah. fully formed opinions and just kind you of flesh find out. that I'll flip-flop a lot. <laughs> oh, yeah. No. Okay, but there's a difference. Like, flip-flop is something that's thrown around. Not true. But yeah, I don't you, think I flip flop. If but, you uh, change your opinion based on new yeah. evidence, that's not flip flop. Yeah, that's being like that's intelligent. Person. Why argue? Period. If you don't want someone to change their mind, why do you argue with people? Like you yeah. cannot call someone out for flip flopping no. when you no. have, when they've changed their. No, opinion. I don't think flip flopping is the right word, but I'll, I'll, I'm malleable to to the evidence. I think that's good. I think yeah. everyone should be. Yeah, you know, yeah. you, you have to have a reason to believe what you believe, and I think yeah. it's important to have. So I think we're we're reaching like a national like a national end. So like, what are what are you guys closing thoughts on it? Because I think we're kind of exhausting the topic at this point. Yeah, yeah. I think so. I, I would yeah. think that as far as this topic, I obviously agree that it's super nuanced. It's hard to have mm-hmm. something you know set in stone. But I I do believe that medicine is an art, and I think that yeah. as far as legislation is concerned, I think there should be freedom for um, the nuances of a case by case basis to be enacted without. Um, legal punishment yeah, let's so say a question i pose to you is how how would your how does how would, how has your viewpoints changed initially since the beginning of the podcast you know i think I, th- I think that i'm gonna go back to what kind of mentioned about the temporal um value of life i think i think that's a great argument because honestly it's it becomes kind of like a sliding scale of where is life valuable where do people get to choose when the end of their life is as opposed to natural progression i think that temporal element has a very important role in that decision, but I also think it's something that, personally, I don't have a clear-cut answer to right now. Yeah. I'll say that, um, Ryan, you brought up some really good points that have actually made me reconsider my viewpoints on physician, uh, physician-assisted physician aid in dying. So <laughs> I will still say that, overall, I support it with the nuanced cases, mm-hmm. but they're the overall rationalization, the way the arguments I was coming in with today, there were a lot of counter arguments to them that I quite frankly didn't have an eloquent response to right out the gate that I'm going to have to go home and digest. And we'll probably talk about this at lunch some other time to, to discuss them more. So yeah, I think um, the discussion about just the inherent value of life is something that's going to keep coming up. That's we're going to have to really process a little bit more especially when we discuss like just distribution resources later on and other people making value decisions on life so 
more to come. I think this has uh, been a pretty interesting episode. Yeah, I'll say I'll I'll say my viewpoint before you can wrap it up. Like I I definitely am more conservative on it than I started. I think I think mm-hmm. Ryan brought up some great points where logically I don't think I can disagree with him on. Mm-hmm. Again, I value life differently personally, but as a physician uh, in training, obviously those viewpoints I can't really come out with as a from a physician standpoint. From but but from a patient standpoint, I do think that there are some cases where it's justified, and that's where I'll leave it. That's good. Um, yeah, I mean, my closing thoughts, it's, it's kind of hard to, to wrap it up succinctly, but to me, it, it's going to come down to like what Ken was talking about is what is the inherent value of life? And I think if that's the ultimate question, and I think that is the ultimate question, that's not something that can be dismissed based on arguments for patient autonomy or based on arguments for, uh, you know, uh, respecting a patient's right to make decisions for themselves. And that's, to me, there just seems like there are too many hurdles to overcome and too many hurdles that to, in order to overcome those would allow for bad, bad outcomes in tangential cases that I don't think we're willing to accept. So in the end, I'm, I'm still of the opinion that physician-assisted suicide is wrong or euthanasia is wrong, either of them. But I think Vikasa's point about when you have those small set of cases where you just can't relieve someone of pain, whether, whether or not that's, that's something that can be dealt with or not is important to talk about. But that's not something that can just be dismissed. And you can't be so uh, robotic as to just use logic and not put some empathy into those cases. And um, that's something that I think would stick with me the most. But, um, yeah, it's the most fun part about the podcast is being able to express your opinion. You're not going to get crucified for it. You're not going to be <laughs> you're not going to have people yep. telling you that you're dumb or you make bad points. And mm-hmm. um, this is a conversation that we're going to continue having just because it ends on this podcast doesn't mean it's going to end mm-hmm. in uh in our future careers and it's definitely not going to end because (laughs) there's a lot of people talking about it right now of course um so we'll be back next month with another podcast we're enjoying these we hope you guys are and uh look forward to talking to you guys next month thanks thank you